Big pools of money, like foundation endowments and family offices, how can their investments align with their impact? Today on Off the Sidelines. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 9 of Off the Sidelines, your guide to becoming a better investor. We're almost done with this 10-episode season. The world needs a new generation of great companies, and we need your help. I am your host. I'm Chris Wink, the co-founder and CEO of Technically, which is your guide to local economies and change. Off the Sidelines is sponsored by Project Entrepreneur, a program by UBS. They want to strengthen the ecosystem for women founders and advance inclusive capital. That includes diversifying the pipeline of investors and supporters. Today... We think of foundations and the charitable end of family offices as the do-gooders. But to give that money, you got to make that money. To do that, I am joined by my esteemed colleague, Technically's assistant editor, Mr. Stephen Babcock. Chris, hello. How are you? I'm all right. Welcome to Sidelines. Stephen, I think this is one of those episodes that we just are going to have to start with some definitions. Foundation, endowments, and family offices why are we grouping them together and, and maybe even a little bit like what are they? So a foundation and a family office might sound like very different things from different parts of the federal tax code or whatever, but there are some similarities in approaches. For one, both start with a big pot of money. Oodles of cash, got it. Yeah, a family office, it's kind of a general term. It's an organization or even a collection of entities that lead financial management for ultra high net worth individuals and families. So like Chris, get ready for this. When I eventually established the Babcock family office, you like it? You like it? To manage all my journalism billions, I'll have both the Babcock wealth advisory firm and then they'll like share the elevator with the staff of my Babcock family foundation. Right. Two entities, but they're both like taking some Babcock wealth and, and earning it and giving it out. In different ways, some for return, some for charitable ends. So foundations can range from a tiny tax strategy for an individual, or it could be these massive billion-dollar foundations you've probably heard of. You know, your Ford Foundation, your Knight Foundation. No matter their size, though, the point is that both foundations and family offices essentially are pools of money that are both managed and distributed in order to send those dollars out into the world towards some goal. And that's this episode of Off the Sidelines. How can foundation endowments and family offices align their investments for impact? Beautiful. And we got some of the brightest lights talking about ways that that's happening in different, new, exciting ways. You've gotten me excited, Stephen. Why don't you tell me about those two interviews? Cool. Yeah. So let's get right into it. My first conversation started with someone who wants to make clear they're not in charity work. The Untourist Foundation is absolutely an investor. Our entire modest endowment is in a revolving loan fund that we invest in world-enhancing small businesses that are solving social, economic, and environmental issues. That's Elizabeth Killo, the co-CEO of the Untourist Foundation. Her organization gives low-interest loans to businesses that are working to build healthy, sustainable communities around the world. All right. That's really different, what Untours does. So rather than half her house growing in endowment and half giving that endowment away, Untours makes loans to companies that fit their mission. The endowment and the mission are totally aligned. It's, it's a different approach to sustaining consistent impact. It really is. And Elizabeth helps us here with our conversation because she's not only working with businesses as the co-CEO of the foundation, 
but she also speaks with other foundation leaders about the importance of impact investing. All right. So impact investing, it, it could trigger <laughs> pain for people because it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so, you know, for some foundations, that can mean that they take equity stakes in private companies or they could be making loans and that would allow them to work with both nonprofits and for profits. For the family offices that use direct private market business investing as an asset class, they're always seeking above market returns while fulfilling the worldview or the strategies of that firm. And, and that can have a social good aspect, impact investing. Yeah, exactly. And I did want to get more of that latter perspective you were talking about. So I got some help there. I feel like there's been a greater push towards impact investing over the last few years. It's gone from a fairly niche investment instrument. So everything from direct deal investing and early stage opportunities to more diversified private investment funds to options in the public markets as well. And that's Jennifer Wong. Jennifer is a portfolio manager at the Glenmead Trust Company and its Philadelphia office. That helps manage over $37 billion worth of funds from foundations, families, and institutions. Jennifer's work is mostly centered around investment selection, portfolio management. She brings a lot of financial expertise that spends various kinds of investments. So I want to come back to Jennifer and family offices. But first, let's start our conversation with Elizabeth with that new foundation look. Here she is giving examples of the kinds of companies that Untours invests in. One example is Tone Lei in Cambodia, and they make clothing out of remnants left over from other factories. They pay their workers fair wages and have a beautiful workshop. So they're an answer to fast fashion, and they're raising the issue in the fashion industry of the waste that happens and the terrible working conditions. Another example is Wash Cycle Laundry, that started in Philadelphia and is now in Boston and Washington, D.C. In Philadelphia, they do all of their pickups and deliveries on bikes. They use super green washers and dryers, eco-friendly laundry detergent. And they came into existence just to hire returning citizens from prison and drug rehab. Mm. So they're solving lots of problems at once. Just thinking about how you're going about sourcing investments, I think when we a lot of times when we think of foundations, there's sort of the program officer who who has kind of a bunch of grant applications. But when you're talking about making making these kinds of the loans, the equity investments that you're considering, how do you source those? How do you how do you go about evaluating those? I think the process looks much the same as foundations that look for nonprofits to give grants. We look for investments that is businesses that are fulfilling our mission. We get to know the businesses as one would a nonprofit for a grant. We do the due diligence and from there make the decision to invest or not. We spend time with the entrepreneurs. We do what most investors would do, look at business plans and projections, history of the company if there is a history. Just dig as deeply as we can, but in a warm and supportive way. We're not Shark Tank. Excellent. So set this up for us a little bit here. Do you kind of have a set pool of, of funds that, you, that you've set aside that you're looking to invest? Where does that live? We try to have it live in businesses. We try to keep it out on the street at all times and have it in our credit union account very little. 
So we keep a pipeline of businesses that are ready to receive the funds once they're returned from other businesses. It's a modest fund, but it's a revolving loan fund. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, we think about so often of interviewing venture capitalists of, of they've got kind of the hundred million dollar fund and then and then you go kind of invest that down, invest that down and then go raise again. Right. But so yours is more on a revolving basis. So. Yes. Interesting. And then when you think about that revolving fund, another thing we often come run into is, frankly, the returns. Right. There, There's when folks do invest and in, especially when it's equity. I mean, a lot of times you're thinking about what's my return on that going to be? First of all, we would ideally like to get our investment principal back, (laughs) but we are early stage investors, which makes us fairly high risk investors. So we know from the start that not all of our investments will come back. Put COVID on top of that and the risk is even higher. But we look for entrepreneurs who are taking the reach to solve key poverty, employment, energy, health, et cetera, issues. Hopefully they will be profitable and we will get our principal back with interest if we give a loan or with a little growth if we invest equity. Mm, yeah, absolutely. As far as mentorship, do you, is there a role there for, that you play and how do you think about you know, what the role is for, for you at the foundation as far as coming in and, and you know, rolling up your sleeves, as they say, in the VC world? We work closely with our investees, offering lots of support, all the way from pro bono legal help to introducing them to other funders and offering to go with them when they make funding pitches. We're now introducing some of our investees to other foundations for investments, but few foundations are ready to take that step. We want them to succeed and whatever they need, we try to provide. And we pick really fun investees too. So it makes the trip fun and inspiring for all of us. Can you talk a little bit about that work that you're doing and and what you think about um, how endowments are structured and and, what you're seeing out there? Yes, um, I love this question. Fiduciary responsibility means fulfilling the foundation's mission. It doesn't mean standing guard over an endowment. If an endowment is in a Wall Street portfolio, it's probably working against the foundation's mission. So those board members are not fulfilling their fiduciary responsibility. There's a myth that Wall Street is prudent, secure, and not risky, while all outside ventures are risky. But in fact, many foundations felt the risk during the 08-09 downturn and panicked, and then again at the start of COVID. Investing, for example, in a mortgage to help a grantee purchase a building could be quite secure for a foundation and would offer income to them. Most importantly, it would further the foundation's mission by supporting one of its grantees. Ventures don't need to be as risky as the ones the Untours Foundation takes. Lastly, I would simultaneously argue that foundations need to get out of their comfort zone and take more risks. We all know that we're in the sixth period of mass extinction. We all know that millions of people may be losing their homes due to COVID, and the list goes on. So how do you think about that idea of risk when you're entering it alongside companies? And and how do you talk about that when you're talking with others? 
When I talk with other foundations, I try to explain to them that there's risk in the stock market too. And there are things they can trade out for the stock market that will match their mission and could even have lower risk. For example, we're invested in a CDFI, Community Development Financial Institute in Michigan, with a framework of addressing racial equity. That's the sole purpose of that CDFI. They pay us 3% interest. A foundation could swap out its money market where it's getting what? 0.001% interest right now for an investment in the CDFI. They could earn more money. I think it would be more secure than many money markets and they could be addressing racial equity. So I look for swaps for them and to encourage them that it's not as scary as they think. As Elizabeth explained, Untours is obviously looking to invest in businesses that can grow and become sustainable. They also work hard to get to know the entrepreneurs they work with to make sure their businesses are truly fulfilling Untour's mission. So right, yeah, make no mistake, the foundation sees itself as an investor with those investments. And in this case, the entire endowment, which she characterizes as modest, is a revolving loan fund. Right. With that endowment, the emphasis is on growing businesses that are addressing systems. As Kilwa put it, they're solving many problems at once. That business in, in Cambodia is seen as an answer to fast fashion and pays workers fair wages. The emphasis on both the financial and the social returns of investment is an increasing trend. So that's the foundation bit. Let's get the family office perspective on this as well. Here's Jennifer explaining this further. What we've seen in the private side over the years is a desire for mainstream private equity or venture capital to be more responsible and impactful. I think it's now much more mainstream than just that. And I would say that, you know, taking ESG or impact considerations into account are now more hallmarks of, you know, good business acumen or more responsible investing. And on the private side, you know, I think ESG also can highlight different areas that you can help your portfolio companies create value. Uh, and I would say that, you know, taking ESG or impact considerations into account are now more hallmarks of, you know, good business acumen or more responsible investing. Uh, and so you're able to kind of align across asset classes to opportunities that are more impactful outside of just the early stage bucket at this point. So what is exactly the thing that's really, that's changed? How would you have done it, you know, traditionally? When you think about a foundation that has a mission, you know, in the old days of being able to just do grant making, they were able to grant out, say, like the 5% that they typically grant out of their portfolio towards things that further their mission. What's really changed nowadays is the fact that impact has become much more mainstream, as I mentioned earlier. And rather than just using the 5% of your grant dollars to further your mission, you're able to begin aligning the 95% of your investment portfolio along things that can further your mission as well. And I think one of the things that is difficult oftentimes when, you know, foundations or family offices first go down this path is really defining impact. It's easier for foundations because they have a mission already. Uh, I think when it comes to family offices or other organizations, that definition of impact can be quite challenging. So families 
can oftentimes like different family individuals can come together and align on things that they don't want to do and things that they do want to do. Let's take family offices for a second as well, because uh, and just that question of how do we define impact? I mean, is that a process to kind of get to that of what you want to do? Is there? It's often a pretty long conversation. Usually when our teams go out and work with these organizations or individuals, uh, it's a multi-step process where we introduce the concept of impact investing. We talk to them about the different types of opportunities you can access. And then we work with the family or foundation to really hone in on what they want to do. And so it both an education as well as an evaluation process. And, you know, in terms of the private markets in particular, and I bring up private just because it is the portion of your portfolio that I think when people first think about impact investing, that naturally jumps to mind because it's where most of the stories are, right? Uh, and so when we launched our impact-oriented private markets fund at Glenmead, we understood that defining impact would be quite a challenge. <laughs> and uh, so the way that we went about doing that is we looked at all the impact-oriented private markets funds out there in the world to see what type of impact could really be achieved using your investment dollars that could make the same level of financial returns that we're used to seeing. And that's really important, right? Um, because impact investing means you're investing for financial returns. Private investors, when we look across the board, across the ages, um, have really used their investment dollars to invest into the likes of sustainability and energy, into healthcare, into education, amongst various other sectors. And so, you know, that landscape success existed for decades. And those sectors just weren't called impact before. So it really is a question of of that balance, right? That you want to have things that are that are doing good, that are aligned with your with what you're trying to are seeing as your values and and doing good in the world, right? But then also, but there is that question of returns there too, right? First, I would say that you know there are much more mainstream investors coming into this space and raising pools of capital that are more impact aligned, uh, and in terms of I think where it can get a little gray a lot of times with foundations in particular doing early stage investments is something that they really gravitate towards and really want to do. And I think what we try to talk to our foundations and family offices when they're looking at impact investing is not just looking at that early stage investment bucket as that's oftentimes a very small portion of their overall portfolio. And rather, we talk to them about using a portfolio-wide approach that can yield even further results, right? So if you think about it, um, a foundation that's focused on poverty alleviation or something in a specific city. In the past, the foundation could use just grant dollars to further their mission. And while early-stage investments, you know, they began doing through, say, supporting local underrepresented entrepreneurs and social enterprises to further their mission, but what they could do they could take one step further and think carefully about the rest of the portfolio, right? So in their private real estate portfolio, could they look for opportunities in workforce and affordable housing that could further, you know, propel their mission? Uh, Or within their public fixed income portfolio, could they look to further supporting school districts or higher education that will then, you know, kind of help with their poverty alleviation strategy? I think that could really help a foundation increase the magnitude of their impact. 
there's a number of instruments that, that come into play here, right? But is there anything in particular you're seeing that's, uh, forgive me, but pretty popular right now? Yeah, I would say that the two themes that are mentioned most amongst our client base are climate change and diversity. So, for instance, if a client had a client mandate, there's numerous, you know, renewable energy options and listed equities or fixed income strategies in the public market. And they can then round that out with opportunities in the private market where they're, say, helping buy and build renewable assets, fund technological innovation, or build plants that recycle or reuse existing materials. And so I guess, you know, one of the more popular ones that have happened um, in the last year or two, I think it was two years ago, uh, is Beyond Meat, right? And like when you first hear Beyond Meat, you don't necessarily think of, you know, oh, that's a climate strategy. Uh, And so Beyond Meat is probably one of the most uh, successful stories, you know, having been funded for quite a number of years in the venture capital markets all the way to their IPO back in 2019, I believe. Yeah. And that really brings it home because, you know, the example of, of saying, well, the thing that I'm interested in values wise and ESG wise, as you said, is climate change, right? But that can be reflected through, you know, not only a portfolio decision, but but specific businesses that that are carrying that forward. The other thing I was interested in is as you kind of are thinking through impact, how do you think about ROI when with these kinds of investments? Sure. I would say first and foremost, like impact investments are investments themselves. And so getting that type of financial ROI is very high up on our priority list. I would say that impact management, measurement, and reporting is likely one of the biggest hurdles that the impact investing industry has to jump right now because it's a bit fragmented. And so I think trying to find and standardize those metrics has been something that is plaguing the industry as a whole right now. And I would say there are some players that are coming up with kind of industry standards, the first being the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So these are 17 goals set up by the United Nations that over 190 countries have signed up. So that's one set of bucket. And then the second one would be the Global Impact Investing Network has also created much more specific impact metrics that you can access in their IRIS Plus database. And so these are very targeted, specific things. So like within agriculture, for example, they'll walk you through how you're supposed to think about measuring the number of smallholder farmers that you're working with. And then lastly, (laughs) the third one that they're convening around is the impact management projects um, framework around the five dimensions of impact. So this really, you know, as you're thinking through specific examples of impact, um, measuring the who, what, how, how much, and the risks that are associated with it uh, is certainly something that people are beginning to think about. And I would say that it's an amalgamation of these three that are really helping shape what impact um, measurement looks like across the board right now. Right. So this is saying when you're thinking about how a foundation or family office invests its portfolio, that portfolio manager should say, let's look at businesses that will take a focus on social and environmental returns. Now, I'm going to bring up an acronym here, Chris, forgive me. But one that really stood out to me that Jennifer brought up is ESG. Oh, man, the time has come. We need to talk about ESG. Oh, yes, that's right. It's short for environmental, social, and corporate governance. So the idea here is that you look at how a business's actions are benefiting society 
and working toward long-term goals that don't only have to do with financial returns. So you're still looking at financial return, but the idea is the environment and, and social good and, and corporate governance, or you know that means the team and how it's managed, that, that those things have to be a central part alongside that return as part of due diligence and portfolio performance metrics. Right, and that does feel different. Because in some sense, you're considering what this business does alongside how it can make you money. It's just a big rethink. And really, I wanted to bring it home with, because that rethink reminds me of one thing that Elizabeth said to me about her foundation. She said the endowment is all on the street. So, you know, investment circles normally saying the street would evoke Wall Street synecdoche for implying publicly traded markets that the endowment has their funds in to get a return like a traditional foundation. And in that case, you would give 5% of that endowment out as charitable giving because the federal tax code requires it. Elizabeth in Untours does not mean Wall Street in that sense. No, you maybe think so, but talk to her a little bit and she actually means on the street, like with businesses, like invested in businesses. She's saying business has to be done differently. So the street we once associated with investing needs to be rethought. Rethought, indeed. They're merging their impact and their investing around these goals they have. It's impact investing without making you cry. Steven, thank you for being here. So that is it. That is the ninth episode of the second season of Off the Sidelines, your investor education podcast. Off the Sidelines is sponsored by Project Entrepreneur, a program by UBS. It is true, episode nine of a 10-episode season, so we're almost at the end. You still should subscribe. You also could look back and check out our archives. And I have a super secret deal for you because you've listened to the end. Um, we have copies of Guy Raz's book, the NPR host of How I Built This, who was on an earlier episode of Off the Sidelines, if you leave a review, mostly positive, about Off the Sidelines anywhere in your podcast, catcher of choice, and you email me, chris at technical.ly, we will send you a book with a signature from Guy Raz. We only have 10 to do that with, so the first 10 who do it, I will ship you a book, leave a review, we love it. Okay, I'm done. As always, music is by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks to the reporting of Stephen Babcock and the time from Elizabeth Killo and Jennifer Wong. This episode was produced by Q9 Creative, including Kevin Schmidlin and Catherine Nails, with post-production by Max Graham. I am technically CEO Chris Wink. We'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.